And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian church. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people. And they exceeded our expectations. They gave themselves first of all to the Lord and then by the will of God to also, uh, God also to us. So we urged Titus, just as he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. But since you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in the love that we have kindled in you, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I'm not commanding you, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, that you through his poverty, might become rich. And here is my judgment about what is best for you in this matter. Last year you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it, according to your means." For if the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to the one who had the according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard pressed, but that there might be equality. At the present time, your plenty will supply what they need, so that in turn their plenty will supply what you need. The goal is equality, as it is written. The one who gathered much did not have too much, and the one who gathered little did not have too little. Thanks, Steph. This lectern is a complete stitch-up. There's no one taller than me that needs it that tall. I don't know what's going on there. Hey, guys, I'm Jono. Nice to meet you. Uh, Tonight, meet you, (laughs) that's pretty funny. I've met lots of you, but it's nice to meet you if I haven't met you. Hey, tonight is the last night in a series... Uh, called Christians in the Real World. So we looked at Christians in the Real World struggle, uh, Christians in the Real World gather, uh, and then tonight we're looking at Christians in the Real World, they're generous. That's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, Now, I reckon most of you would probably agree that teenagers tend to not have stacks of money, at least compared to like people with full-time jobs. You probably don't have heaps of money. I remember being in year 10 and I didn't have any money, but I wanted money. And so I decided to start a sneaky little business at school. And so what I used to do is I'd go to like Coles or whatever and buy a bunch of cans of Coke for 50 cents each. And I'd shove them in my school bag with cooler bricks and like hike around school with them. And I'd sell them for a dollar, making a tidy 50 cent profit. And I could probably carry about 12 cans of Coke a day. So it meant that I was making about $6 a day by like hoofing around with Coke in my bag, and that's cans of Coca-Cola, by the way, I wasn't selling other things at school, right? Um, but it was a big deal, like I'd have to walk to the shops, get my cubes of Coke, take it home, put it in the fridge, get it all ready for school, carry it around in my bag all day, and I wasn't actually supposed to be selling cans of soft drink at school, so I had to hide from the teachers and sell drinks on the side to people, um, all for $6 a day. Now, there's a little business idea for you. Do with that what you will, but feel free to do that. Are you guys allowed to have soft drink at school now? Can you do that? Yeah. There you go. 
you got a cornered market right there. Get into it. Sell cans of drink. Anyway, um, most people would say, compared to teenagers, you got, uh, compared to people with full-time jobs, you guys don't have heaps of money. Now, tonight's passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is all about giving your money away, about being generous. And so here's the question, is this relevant to you guys? How relevant is this stuff to you? When I sat down and looked at this passage and thought about this talk, I I, I literally thought to myself, how relevant is is this going to seem to a bunch of teenagers who think they probably don't have much money? Is this relevant? Now, the answer is yes, absolutely big time this is relevant for you guys because generosity is a must for all true Christians. Whether you've got stacks or we've only got a little bit of money, generosity should mark us out as Christians, as followers of Jesus. And the reason for that is that it's a matter of our hearts. What we're looking at tonight as we look at money is a matter of our hearts, not how much money you have. And so all of us are going to get a bit of a heart check tonight as we look at this. So Jesus said this about money in Matthew chapter 6. He said, where your treasure is, there your heart is also. And so what you do with your money shows where your heart is. It's like a window into your soul, what you do with money. So even if you don't have much money, this matters a stack for you. Money shows, shows all of us what we value, what we care about. So as we wrestle with this, this issue of money and generosity tonight, know God, this matters heaps. This matters for every single person in this room. And how you respond to God's Word tonight is going to show us a lot about your heart. Let's pray and then we'll have a look at the passage together. Let's pray. Oh, Father God, I pray, please, that you'd help us to understand your word again tonight. Father, I pray that you would expose our hearts by your word tonight. I pray that you'd help us to see the things that drive us, the things that we love. And I pray that you'd cause us to love you more. Please cause us to be people of generosity. Um, Father, please do a great work in us tonight and show us yourself more clearly. Amen. All right, well, here's the first thing to see in this passage in front of you. So grab open 2 Corinthians chapter 8. We're going to be there all night. Here's the first thing to see, and it's this. It's the generous example of some really poor people. I don't know if you caught that, but there's some really poor people. They're our generous example. See, Paul here is writing to the Corinthian church and he's telling them to be generous and he's encouraging them to be generous by telling them about some other people, this other church called the Macedonian church. Um, Check out verse 1. He says, Now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. You catch the situation for this Macedonian church, did you see it? They're going through a severe trial, they're probably, probably being persecuted for being Christians, right? Um, but not only are they being persecuted, he says that they're in extreme poverty, they're poor, it's a place full of poor people and not like, I can't afford a new iPhone poor, like, I don't know if I've got enough money to eat poor, that kind of poor... And in the context of that poverty, look at what they do, verse 3. For I testify that these poor people, they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own. Wow, 
These guys are amazing. They're, they're crazy. Their generosity will probably put most of us to shame. It says they gave as much as they were able to, probably beyond what they could even afford to give. And if that isn't crazy enough, they were desperate to be allowed to do it. They're like, please, please, let us give. Look at verse 4. He says, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the Lord's people, the service of giving away their money to, to help them out. They're saying, please take my money. We want to be generous. Please, Paul, would you let us do this? At the start, I asked the question, how relevant is this idea of giving and generosity and money to a bunch of teenagers who may not have heaps of money? The example of the Macedonian slams that, doesn't it? Not having much money isn't an excuse for not being generous. Like, these guys are crazy. The Macedonians, they gave out of their poverty. When they had almost nothing, they gave. And it would have cost them, cost them incredibly. They were generous. Now, you guys may not have much personal income, as in your parents may pay for lots of the stuff that you do and you have, um, and you only have a small amount of money that's actually yours to choose to do what you want to do with. Um, But it's worth recognising that you have that small amount of money, whatever it is, in the context of having all your needs provided for already. Some of you may be doing it tougher than others, but I would be surprised if any of you were going to go without food tomorrow. Your needs have been met and provided for by families and the government, whatever else. And so you've got this small amount of money that is yours to choose what you'll do with. The Macedonian church is a huge challenge to us because they were, they were literally poor, they were in poverty and in that context they gave generously. And we've got this mate Josh, right? This is him up on the screen. There he is. I chose a bad photo of him. You'll see why. Josh is that guy... Who, who pretty much just seems like he's perfect in every way, every way right? It, this guy's always winning at life. He's better than me at everything. He's better than me at basketball. He's smarter than me. He's fitter than me, definitely fitter than me. He's, his family's incredible. He's just a top guy, right? He's literally great at everything he touches. I'll be like, hey, I bought this game, 2K, NBA, do you want to have a go? And you're like, all right. And he'll, he'll beat me at that. He's good at everything. The only thing I've got on him is that he's a ranger and I'm not. But he also has hair, so I feel like even that isn't much of a win. Does anyone else have that kind of friend, though? That friend who's just winning at everything, better than you at everything? Just me? Huh. Okay. Cool. Thanks for, thanks for having my back there, guys. Anyway, I got this friend. That's what he's like. Now, here's the thing with Josh, though. He's not just a guy who beats me at everything. He's, he's an incredible Christian as well. He's godly. He loves Jesus. The way he lives his life, the decisions that he makes, the way he's built his life is an example to me. He's a real challenge to me as I watch his life. It personally challenges me. Now, what do you do when you meet someone like that who challenges you, the way they live, the model that they put out? What do you do with that? Because I reckon my temptation is to kind of just justify myself and be like, yeah, but he's that perfect guy, I can't be like him. You know, I'll never be like him. You know, you, you hear stories of missionaries in far-off countries doing incredible things and sacrificing and being so brave for Jesus and all that kind of stuff. And you go, yeah, but they're in a different category to me. Like, I'm just me here on a center. They're missionary over there. I, I'll never be like the, the super Christian or these incredible models or whatever. I don't need to be like them. They're different. I reckon you can have the same temptation with this Macedonian church here in this passage. You hear about their incredible example of generosity when they were even out of their poverty, giving away their money, and you go, yeah, but that's them. Like, these guys are like, 
people in the Bible. Like, I don't have to try and be like them or be pushed around by their example. That's not me. The whole reason that Paul talks about this Macedonian church here in these verses is he wants to challenge the Corinthian church with their example. Have a look at verse 8. This kind of sounds almost crazy if you read verse 8. But listen to this. He says, I'm not commanding you about how you should give, but I want to test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. He's like, I'm not going to tell you how much you should give, but I want you to look at the Macedonians and compare yourself to them and be challenged by it. I want you to look at their example and I want that to do something to you. The whole reason this part of the Bible is here telling us about the Macedonian church is it's meant to challenge us. You're not meant to go, ah, yeah, but they're Bible people from long ago. No, no, it's meant to cause us to be generous and to take this example to heart, to be knocked around by it, to be challenged by it. Now, we're going to come to some practical stuff at the end of this talk about how we can be generous Christians. But before we go any further, I want this to sink in. (laughs) Be challenged by the example of of this church. These people who gave out of poverty, which really leaves all of us with no excuse. Now... There's another example in this passage and it's, it's even more mind-blowing, to be honest. Look at verse 9 and see the generous example of the richest person. You're like, who's the richest person? It's Jesus. Look at verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you, through His poverty, might become rich. I'll unpack that in a second, but saying, Jesus was rich, for your sake he became poor, so that you could become rich. You start poor, Jesus is rich, and he makes us rich. What does that mean? It's, it's talking about Christmas and Easter. Talking about the, how Jesus came into our world as a human, as a man, born into our world, East, uh, Christmas, that's Christmas, uh, and then how he went to the cross and died for us, Easter. That's what it's talking about. So, think about this for a second. The claim of the Bible is that Jesus is God. That's who He is. He's God. He's not just a man. But before He came to earth as a man, he's, the place where He lived, he's, who He was, was God in all of that meant. Look at this verse up on the screen. This is John chapter 17, verse 5. Check this out. There we go. It says, and now Jesus is praying, right? He's praying to God and he says, Father, glorify me in your presence as I go to the cross, that's what he's talking about, with the glory I had with you before the world began. There Jesus is talking about a glory that he had when he was with God the Father before he came to earth and he's saying, glorify me with that kind of glory. Jesus, before he came into our world as a man, was rich in a way that there's not even, money is not a thing, like rich in the sense that He was God. In all the glory and all the, beyond anything you could imagine, He was rich because He's God, like there's no other category, right? That's what He left behind as He entered our world and became a man. He entered our world in the frail, dirty, stinky body of a man and became one of us. And so not only though, did He just give up His place in heaven? He came and He entered our world and He died. He died on the cross for you and for me. That's what Jesus did. 
This is our God becoming poor for us so that so that we can be rich and we're talking about spiritually rich. We can have full access to God, sins forgiven, adopted as His children, all the privileges of being able to call God Father, that is ours in Christ. We can spend eternity with Him. That's what it means to be made rich in Christ. Like Aramie said a minute ago, we're billionaires in Jesus. Spiritually, we have everything you could ever need or want or imagine, so much more than money. That's what Jesus has done for us. It's mind-blowing. There's, there's no illustration that captures how crazy it is that Jesus would show us this kind of generosity. Nothing even comes close, right? Um, this won't do it justice, but it, it's like one of you deciding to take on the body of an ant and become an ant to rescue ants and give up your life to save a bunch of ants. Like, you know, like you see a bunch of ants and they're always getting in trouble because they love this, like, sugar and they'll be like, hooray, sugar, ice cream, and then they'll get stuck in it and start to drown in their ice cream puddle or something like that. And it's like one of you being like, I'm going to become an ant, give up my life as a regular human. Everyone's like, Ant-Man, Ant-Man could do this, right? Sorry, guy. But, you know, it's, it's like being like, I'm a human in all that that means, but I'm going to give that up, leave that behind and transform into an ant to rescue ants, die for them, save them from drowning in their stupid ice cream puddle. It's just a ridiculous thought. No one here would leave their body as a human to go and save ants. It's just ridiculous. Jesus is God, far above us, different category. And He condescended to give up His place in heaven and become one of us. And then he died for us, his creatures. Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor. Now, before we go any further, I've got to ask this question. Do you think Jesus would have done all of that if there was any other way for us to be saved? Would he have done all of that? Give up his glory, give up his throne in heaven, take on the body of a man, die humiliating death on a cross. Do you think he would have done all of that if there was any other way? If you could just get right with God by being good, by trying harder, by going to church, by starting over and being really sorry for what you've done, if that was going to be enough to cover it, why the heck would Jesus have done what he's done? It doesn't make any sense. If there was any other way... Jesus wouldn't have done this. Guys, the only way to be right with God is to have Jesus pay for your sins. And you make that yours, you, you, you make that the thing that is going to save you by putting your trust in Him and repenting, turning the other way, putting your trust in Jesus. You receive forgiveness as a free gift and there is no other way. Now, if you're someone who's not right with God, you've not received that forgiveness, you can do that tonight. Sort yourself out with God tonight. You can do that. Find a leader, chat to us, we'll pray to God. But second, if you are a Christian here tonight, this is the ultimate example of generosity. You'll never get a better one. This is incomparable generosity. It's ridiculous. Never has a gift cost anyone so much. Never. If you're in Jesus, you have been made rich through His kindness. And so that should overflow into generosity to others in everything. The, the, the cross of Jesus demands that we give our whole lives, not just our money, but our money is part of that as well. 
demands everything, including our money. Those who have been shown this sort of generosity from Jesus are going to be shaped to be generous people. It's who we are as Christians. How couldn't we be generous after the generosity we've been shown? And so how? How do you do that practically? What does it look like to be a generous Christian? How do we do it? The first section of this passage that we've been looking at is all about why we should be generous. We're going to look at the last bit and see how, some practical stuff. So how do you be a generous Christian? Well, here's the first thing. This is a really important one. Good intentions are not enough. You've got to get organised and actually do it. That might sound harsh or a bit confusing. Let me explain. Check out verse 10. Paul's talking to the Corinthians and he says, And here is my judgment about what's best for you in this matter of giving away money. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. So he's talking about their track record as givers and he's like, you guys are pretty keen. Like last year you gave away a bunch of money, you were really keen to do it, you were the first to want to do that. Um, But look at verse 11, he says, now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your needs. That's a bit of a funny thing to say, he's like, finish the thing you started, make sure that your eagerness to do it is matched by your doing of it, actually give it away. I think what's going on is the, the Corinthian church like to talk about giving away their money, they're like, yeah, we gave away money last year, that was really good, we want to give our money again, so they're saying that they're really keen to do it <laughs> and Paul's like, that's heaps good, make sure you actually do it, make sure you get organised and make it happen. I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but it might be with another example, but you ever been given like a, a curfew or something like that? Your parents are like, you have to be home at 11pm and you go, yes, I'm going to do that and you like tell yourself, I'm actually going to make sure I do that and you go, I'm going to go away and do it and you're doing your thing and you're having a bunch of fun and you mean to go home and be at home on time for your curfew or whatever the thing is, um, but you forget, for some reason you get distracted, having a good time and you don't make it on time and it's frustrating, right, because you, to your parents you're like, I really wanted to do this, like I was going to try and do this, I swear, and they're not like, ah, as long as you wanted to do it, that's fine. They're like, well, did you do it? And you're like, nah, and, and, and that doesn't get it done for them. They want you to do the thing that you wanted to do, not just want to do the thing that you should want to do. Does that make sense? Sorry if that's confusing, right? Good intentions are not enough. You've got to be disciplined, you've got to actually make sure you follow through on it. Now, I imagine none of you are excited about curfews, but I hope you're getting excited to be a generous Christian. I hope you've seen the example of the Macedonians and their generosity. I hope you've seen the generosity you've been shown in Christ. But how do you follow through on that? How do you make sure you actually do this stuff? I honestly reckon that for many of you, I could be wrong, but I reckon for many of you, the biggest blockage to you guys being generous and giving away your money isn't that you don't have any money, It's not even that you don't want to do it, I reckon it's often that you're just disorganised and forget to get around to doing it. Are any of you nodding and talking to your friends? I feel like some of you are, I reckon I've got you there. You just need to remember and get organised. So here's some advice. First thing is, plan ahead. So at the start of the week, whenever you get money or whatever, at that point when you are getting your money, then and there, plan how much you want to give away. So I just got my money, I got 50 bucks or 10 bucks or whatever, right? I never know what to say with money because you might be like, 20 bucks, huh? I got heaps more. You could be like, 20 bucks, wow. Anyway, you get your $2 from the, 
from mum and pa. And, um, <laughs> and you're like, how much of this $2 am I going to give away, right? What you do at that point is you work it out then, you work out how much you need and what, you, and what would be generous and you decide what you're going to give away when you get your money. Make a commitment, decide then, and then you put it aside so that you can give it later on. It's pretty simple. Don't get to Friday and be like, oh, I had heaps of money at the start of the weekend, now I only seem to have this $2, I'm just going to chuck that in. Actually stop and plan ahead. What would it look like for you to be generous? Put it aside, follow through. Here's the second thing. What should Christians give their money to? What should you actually give your money away to? Because it matters and the things you'll give actually matter a lot. Um, there's, the Bible says that there's at least two big responsibilities Christians have with our money. Two responsibilities. First, Christians should give to the ministry of the church that they belong to and are served by. Now, that's not what this passage is talking about. It's not in this passage, but in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 17, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 9 and around there, it commands us as Christians to give to the church, to the place where we are being served by the ministry of the Word. So if EV Church is your home church um, and you're a Christian, you should be giving there. You should be. Support the ministry you benefit from. Um, like the chair you are sitting on right now, hearing the Word of God taught to you in, was given by someone who was a generous Christian. It's not like the government pays for all this all to happen. Like the stage that I'm preaching from, there was a generous Christian somewhere, might have been your parents, might have been one of your leaders, but people paid for this so that you could hear the Word of God preached, so you could receive this ministry. And so support the ministry of the church you go to. Um, but secondly, we need to care for people beyond us. And that's what this passage is talking about. It's talking about a bunch of Christians who are in need. So the Corinthian church and the Macedonian church are giving their money to support people who are in need. So you might give away your money to care for people's physical needs because they're starving, because they need food, whatever. Do that. Care for people's physical needs. Give to that sort of need. But also care for people's biggest need. Care for people's need to hear about Jesus. And so give money to places well beyond us where you can see people hear about Jesus. If you're a Christian, that should excite you. Now, that might mean that you and your family might decide to sponsor a compassion child, something like that. Uh, it might mean that you give to missionaries overseas. This term at youth, any money that you give in those bags is going to, to, toward persecuted Christians overseas. That's what's going on in Vietnam. That's where that money is going. It's going to see the gospel go out in Vietnam and support the persecuted church there. That's what that's about. Every term at youth, we're giving to something like that. That's what we've got there. Here's the last thing though. How much should you give? That's a tricky question. I've got this much money. How much of it should I give? The answer is you give according to what you have. It's a bit of an answer that doesn't tell the exact answer, sorry. But look at verse 12. He says, For if the willingness is there, if you're willing to give, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. Our desire is not that others might be relieved, that they have heaps of money, while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. He's saying you give according to what you have and so if you only have a little, you'll probably only give a little. If you have a lot, you'll probably be able to give a lot. And Paul isn't asking this church to give money that they don't have beyond their means. 
He's, he's saying, give to those in need because they're in need. Give according to your means, as you're able. And the point is that everyone would have enough. And so honestly, look at what you do have and work out what it would mean for you to be generous. Don't beat yourself up over the fact that you don't have much money to give in the first place. That's okay. Work out what you do have and go, what would it look like for me to be generous in my situation, with my money, with whatever? Now, here's a question that's worth asking, though. How much do you really have? How much do you really have? At the start, I talked about how teenagers don't have lots of money and you've got to sell cans of Coke at school or whatever. And compared to Australians who've got full-time jobs, that, that's kind of true. But according to the rest of the world, you guys are rich. And I don't mean just spiritually rich, you're literally rich as well, according to most people in the world, compared to most people. You've actually got stacks of money. You live in homes where your needs are met and paid for. And so you guys aren't asking, I'm not asking questions, you guys aren't asking questions like, will I have enough food to eat tomorrow? You're probably asking questions like, what food would I like to eat tomorrow? Should I go out to breakfast at Terrigal again? Or should I eat wheat picks at home? I don't know, what food do I want? That's what it looks like for most people on the Central Coast. So even if your own personal income, the bit that you're in charge of, is comparably small, $20, whatever it is, that's still $20 that you get to decide what you're going to do with. And so sit down and go, I've got 20 bucks. What is it going to look like for me to be generous? Follow through on it and do it. The Macedonians gave out of their poverty. That's crazy the way these guys gave. Jesus' grace on the cross, his richness to us, his mercy is mind-blowing. He became poor so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. So let's be generous. I'm going to pray that we would be. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for your goodness to us in so many ways. Thank you for your goodness to us in the Lord Jesus Christ, that in Him spiritually we have everything we could possibly need and ever ask for and more. Your goodness to us is overwhelming in the Lord Jesus Christ and we thank you for that. And we thank you as well for your goodness in our day-to-day physical needs. Thank you that we live in a country that has much, in a part of that country that has much. Father, as people who've been shown so much generosity, I pray that we would be people of generosity. Lord, would you please show us our hearts in this? Lord, would we be people who love and would that overflow into richness and generosity to others? Amen.